0: This is going to be a really cool one because um, for those of you who have followed me as a hunter, um, I can tell you that most of all the ninja skills I've learned as a hunter has come from what I was taught starting at age nine from my Uncle Kenny, and I've got my Uncle Kenny with us today, so how are you, man?
1: Well, I'm fine. Starting over again. (laughs)
0: he gets all serious when he knows he's on on air but uh no you you definitely implemented all the grassroots things for me uh when it comes to hunting and learning to learning to outsmart whitetails because down there where you're at in Mississippi you know I grew up down kind of in the Mississippi Delta my uncle's from Natchez Mississippi and those deer are as smart as they come. I think.
1: Yeah, I think um, the I, th- I think the history that I see is that we've hunted these animals with so many different variations. Uh, you know, we dog hunted. We used drives. Uh, archery really never got popular until the early seventies, and so most of it was gun hunting. We've had rifles. I think, personally, I think the deer have just been hunted and pushed so hard that over over time they have probably gotten a little bit sharper than I've seen Midwestern deer. But I will say that the more people that hunt certain counties in the Midwest, the more those deer become uh, acclimated a little bit, pay more attention to the things that are going around. Of them and more hunting pressure and that it's just you just really i'm not saying that the deer down here are that much sharper because you you have to go through extreme descending paying attention to what you drive you know how quiet you are it just goes on and on and when you kill a trophy deer down here it's uh especially with archery tackle it's it's gotten to be a very big challenge and uh it's not that killing hard anymore to shoot one with a rifle but it is pretty difficult still to kill with a bow so and yeah. i will like, say my father was you know obviously instrumental in me being a hunter because all we did then was turn out dogs and get on the stand and <clears throat> he never did bow hunt so i mean that was just it just got he just won a little challenge and um uh, then i went into that Then of course you came through and grew up and had a chance to hunt and you were smart enough to go north and find bigger deer and, you know, and hunt <laughs> land that, you know, you, you can manage deer up there with the forage that y'all have. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a tradition in the South, no question.
0: Well, I know that, um, when I st- I kind of went just to give everyone a little background when I started um when I first got a rifle, I had probably only shot a few deer at that point, but needless to say one day i th- I thought my grandpa would be proud if I kind of shot all the deer that I saw because I had a pretty good actually he put me out one day in the rain, and I was out there for about five or six hours in the rain. Keep in mind, I'm nine years old, and you know I saw a pretty good deer and shot it this was my first time with a rifle because before that you guys had just gave me a uh, a shotgun with a slug and or with with buckshot back then actually and i saw deer and shot it and stayed really quiet and stayed up in that gum tree and then uh saw another one and shot it well by the time he came i you know we started picking up deer and we ended up picking up three and I thought he was going to be excited about that, but he was—he was really disappointed. Um, he just said, "Well, how do you think anyone else out here is going to have any 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 opportunity if you're just out here slaughtering everything?" So he was pretty disappointed. And then, uh, if you if you knew my grandpa, he came out of uh, came out of the Korean War. He was pretty a lot of brothers. He was pretty hardcore, wasn't it, Kenny?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he was black and white. There were no gray areas to him. And <laughs> if, you, if you cross the line, you know, there were consequences, and uh, he didn't waste any time initiating the consequences. And uh, but that's the old way. We came out of the depression. Things were hard, and it was cut and dry. And you know, I will say this that. Uh, he was hard he was hard on me, but I do look back now and think without any question that that discipline that military discipline is probably the reason I'm still alive, okay uh because it was just there was no way in his mind that you quit whatever you were doing. you just had to do more and uh so I think there was a little bit of that, and there's a lot of that in you too and you don't know it, but, you know, he kind of got your attention, snatched you around a little bit when he could. and But at the same time, I don't think it was anything except trying to get you prepared for what might happen somewhere down the road. And in my case, while it took 50 years, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was prepared to... Go through whatever you know happened uh you just you just it's just a life lesson that um there's nothing wrong with this in the family um and that's what the military is about he he was a military guy and <laughs> so it's just the way it was you know
0: oh yeah well he thought he actually uh so how i got into bow hunting was after that day and granted keep in mind i'm nine so you know maybe just just about to turn 10 but i'm nine and instead of him kind of maybe telling him what i should do or whatever he just took the gun and said if you're ever gonna hunt on this place again you're gonna have to do it like the indians did you better find a bow and arrow because that's the only way we're gonna keep you from killing everything around here <laughs> <laughs> that's how and that's how it started isn't it
1: oh uh, yeah yep yeah, yep yeah. and um uh... But I guess you know. I think about that time. I, you know, I know I was bow hunting because it, uh, it just you had to teach yourself because there just weren't any mentors. Thing you really just had to accept the fact that you want to do something different. And um, there were only long bows and recurves when I started. So you know, I you know I can't remember. I think he got you a stick bow and then then I think you went forward to there. Over, because
0: yeah, I came over to your house where there were some cool ones.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember one year when you came down, we had been working out of a portable water tank to keep the camp full of water. We were so proud we drilled a water well and they had that brand new 150-gallon water tank set up. John wanted to take a few practice shots, and the tank wasn't even part of the program, but somehow he released that air, and it deflected (laughs) off the ground, and it centered my water tank. We sat there staring in disbelief as this air was sticking out of the side (laughs) of the tank. You know, we never did take that air out because it plugged the hole. And uh,
0: Oh that was that was the worst feeling of my life. you guys were you were so proud that there was finally water at camp and I'll be danged if I didn't you know back then we were shooting fingers and yep. i I'll, I'll be danged if I didn't skip one off and this somehow this arrow absolutely centered the dang water tank and in the old days we had the field points were like they were made by satellite. And they had that big bulge in the, you know, the point had that big bulge at the tip and then it necked down again. And where the bulge went in, it punctured in and the pressure of the tank pushed the tip out enough to where it, that's what held the pressure.
1: <laughs> it stayed in there for about five years until we uh, finally moved the camp to another site. And uh <laughs> That's just the way life is. Sometimes it was a reminder that we needed to pay attention to where we shot our bows and arrows back then. So, uh,
0: yeah. And if yep. if if you would have been Papa man, what I well, have got, I would have had a whipping. Yeah. Oh man. <sighs> man. The thing about it
1: is he wouldn't have fixed the tank. Okay, it was bad enough to look at the arrow sticking out of the tank, but he would have. He wouldn't have let it go. I can tell you that. He did uh,
0: <laughs> No. No. Well, yeah, we both gr- grew up, but like you said, um, we both grew up when we were when whenever we were with papa, you a lot longer than me, but I was around him a lot and um we grew up with the drill sergeant and hard nose, but that that's kind of the perfect segue into really what I wanted to do with this podcast is give people some motivation and, uh, a story that would, that could probably, probably change their, change their life. And and if they can remember it and maybe one day save their life, because like you said there, you weren't allowed to quit. You, there were, you know, if you weren't allowed to quit, because if you did what came from him would probably be worse than what you were going to get wherever you were at. And so um as I'm leading in with this, I just want everyone out there to know that I got a call one day uh from my mom letting me know that that Kenny was probably not gonna be alive very long and and pretty much told me that there'd be a horrific accident and that it was it was very bad and uh, yeah, it was, it was nerve wracking in the, you know, at first it came from a call asking if I had heard from you. And I said, no. And they said, well, we haven't, we really haven't been able to, uh, to find where Kenny's at. And that in itself changed a rule that we have in our house to where now, anytime I go to a stand, I always, text Sharon the stand number according to where I'm going to be so that if for some reason something happens if she doesn't know where I am my farming buddy Dustin knows where every single stand is Uh, and even though you may think this is about falling out of a tree uh, it's not so uh, from there Kenny if you want to tell the story man i know it's hard on you but i just think this is important for the hunting community to, to hear this because it was uh it's amazing it's amazing you're alive and and it's a true testimony to to will uh you know will really the, your will uh and your faith and just everything in between so uh tell us what happened
1: well, I mean it is funny because in two thousand and three it was labor Day two thousand and three, so there's fourteen years coming up September one uh anniversary, but there are still parts of that uh afternoon that I see things I still get a very nauseous feeling when I see people getting hurt or uh, because uh, I did have a a big impact on me, but fortunately, I was able to survive, and and then for, I think, three years after the accident, Mississippi State uh, invited me to several farm uh, events that uh, was discussing farm safety. We take so much for granted, uh, and, and this part, John, is something that I think that can, can really impact a lot of people because... The more we see people putting in food plots and wildlife food plots, those people are, in most cases, come from a uh, an area that may not be farm-based. You know, they they live in a a town in most cases, and they're either borrowing equipment. and uh, It's it seems so easy on TV. I mean, really, and truly, most people are using small tractors. I would say 30 horsepower. You know, maybe 40. And the assumption is really, well, I can drive a lawnmower, so I can probably run a piece of equipment. And the truth of it is, is that there are more fatalities with farmers who run equipment than, than people in the past. Uh, they're very familiar with that equipment and they still get hurt. Now, back then, we had what we had was an international 856, that was a 105 horsepower tractor, it was open cab. In those days, when that tractor was made in the mid '70s, they didn't have roll bars, they didn't have seat belts. Uh, all of that led up to what happened to me because i had been using the tractor for about like 15 years. Um, Labor Day 2003 was no different than any other fall preparation, where we did prepare our food plots, and that tractor was used for disking up ryegrass fields for cattle pastures and just so happened on this particular day uh because it was labor day it was a monday um, i did have the day off and i wasn't and i i never normally don't take days off but some of my buddies called to go play golf so we started off as a normal i guess uh, off day we went and played 18 hours of golf and and uh when i think back on what i was doing that day i I mean back then i could shoot pretty good golf and i had several opportunities to make birdies i shot a 73 i mean i remember that very clearly and missed about five or six birdie putts and i remember thinking like most people think you know quietly lord let me make this putt you know And, and then i and later on i got to think about people that would say a prayer like Lord let me get a shot at this deer or Lord let me catch this fish and I think about all the prayers that we send that really and truly we do it subconsciously but at the same time I you know, if it makes you feel better but I gotta I gotta tell you that there are a lot more important prayers going up than help me catch this fish or help me shoot this deer. But anyway when I got home after lunch I took a short nap and I got up and I decided just to jump on the tractor and go to the back. Nobody was there. nobody was home, so nobody knew where I went. I picked up the tractor and I'm pulling a 480 disc for those things that know what a 480 is. It's um, a big international braking plow disc and um, it's 14 feet wide with the straight gangs without the pulled up. When you lay them down it's 22 feet probably weighs about 2500 pounds it's it's a big piece of equipment so i went to the back and behind our house uh, it's where our small place is about 600 acres but we have about 25 acres of wildlife food plots and i decided that i would go back there and break one up uh, a little bit earlier than normal and uh as i was going to the back i passed a little a little lane that had a, a food plot in the back that I had never disced, and so I decided okay I'll go disc this one up and and I kind of won't tell anybody where it is and it'll be a little private spot and so anyway I turned down through it and it was kind of grown up and got back there and started discing it up and we're talking about a food plot that might have been an acre so it's not a very big food plot and when you're taking a fourteen foot disc you're having to make wider circles down here we have bahia grass and the behavior grass had not been clipped or anything so you have to disc it multiple times to get some dirt and after I'd made about eight or nine trips literally around the two-plot and on the 480 it's a it has a hand tightened up or down so that you can put more set in it and I guess the one thing that helped me was that i had put all the set in the disc and so the nose was down pretty sharp i had replaced the front scallop pans with slick pans and really and truly that all those things led up to me being fortunate uh and get out of this thing and then about a week or prior to september one i went through paris Texas I had a friend, uh, Mac Ray, that was a big Republican, and he had a lot of books. And from time to time, Ray would give me a book to, to read. And this particular week, he'd given me a book uh, by Michael Durant called In the Company of Heroes. And uh, usually it takes me two or three weeks to read a book as big as that one, but long story short, I read it. And uh, it was very interesting because it, in the in the couple, one of the chapters, it was... Uh, detailed on the lessons that they taught the Rangers and how to deal with pain and all these things build up to what you don't realize spiritually that the Lord is giving you information you just have to be listening and, and this is a testament to my Lord and Savior because I know that I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for that faith and that relationship that I had with the Lord so about the last trip I was going to make around the food plot I'd been watching this limb that was hanging out over the food plot on the corner uh, because I didn't want the limb to catch the muffler and break the manifold I've been dodging it and uh, this particular time I I decided to go just a little bit closer just to level out the food plot and when I did well the limb hit the muffler and um, instead of Instead of picking the disc up and backing up, I just decided to lean over to one side to let the limb pass. Unfortunately, we found out later that it wasn't a limb, it was the top of a gum tree that was wedged in a fork. And and when that muffler hit it, it just cocked it like you'd be cocking a throwing arm of a a pitching machine. when it slipped off the muffler, then it happened so fast. And this is something that you really can't practice. Uh, and I don't know how close you can practice accidents. But when that limb came back, it hit me square in the solar plexus. And it literally knocked me out in the seat. And uh, the lick, uh, it, I think it broke three ribs. But then when it did, the tractor lurched forward and the, the lick, and my pushing back broke the seat out of the tractor. And then it dumped me out on top of the disc. And uh, so one of the blessings is, that, is, as bizarre as it sounds, is that I was unconscious. Uh, and I don't know whether my head hit on the draw bar. Not real sure because you couldn't see. But all I know is, I'd say probably... I don't know, fifteen or twenty seconds I had to have been unconscious because I had fallen down now and the tractor was pulling the disc across the the food plot and I'm in I'm underneath it. I'm uh I had the front set of gangs had run over my feet and my legs and because the set was down on the disc anyone that's ever a disc with a big disc knows it sometimes and I hit a chunk, like a big limb, or it was push it instead of running over it. Uh, the, the front set of gangs are run over it, but because it it's set so deep, you get hung up between the axle and the disc fans And in my case, um, that's what happened. So after he had drugged me for about, I don't know, 25 or 30 meters, I came to and I realized that I was being drugged across the field up underneath the disc and back then and uh, you know I was I'm 65 now so I was around 50 and I was in really good shape I, I really was I had been working out running getting ready for the season I reached up and grabbed the frame on the disc and held on um, and tried to pull myself forward out from under the axle but I but because the, the axle was down close, it wouldn't allow my feet to come out from under. And after about another 30 meters, began, you begin to realize that this thing's not going to stop. And uh, the, where I was on the place, we have a, a a creek that's about 25 feet deep from the top of the bank to the to the creek bed, and there's about 30. 540 feet wide, I realized that the tractor was heading toward the creek. Um, now, I could tell the story a lot faster than it happened because you think five miles an hour is not very fast, <laughs> but things happen real quick <laughs> at five miles an hour. But in my mind, everything had just completely slowed down so slow as I was being pulled across I felt like that, uh, you know, time would just come to almost a stop, and then I realized that I was getting to the edge, and then in, in a, these are millisecond thoughts that went through my head that, okay, I know what's fixing to happen. The tractor's fixing to dive off in the creek, and then it's going to run over me. And I visually saw the tractor going up the other side of the bank and flipping over on top of the disc and catching on fire. While I'm still being pulled, these thoughts are going through my head, and then I I realize I can't get out from under the disc. Um, As we get into the edge, because I leave about a 15-meter buffer around, I got into the grass. It was a lot deeper, and the grass friction uh, started pulling so hard on me, it started pulling me now sideways and down under the disc, kind of halfway run over me. and I knew that's what was fixing to happen as the first this pan went through the side of my ear it came across my cheekbone and entered into the corner of my mouth it uh, started on the um, incisor which is in the front part it chipped my front tooth and then it was working back through my jaws and you could hear your the teeth popping like you were snapping your fingers and it was so you gotta realize, it was probably going pretty fast, but in my mind, it was going real slow. And when he hit the back motor, it shoved my head down, and I was looking straight up at the pan coming over, All I, I remember the last thing that I thought was, you know, Lord, if you're gonna do something, you better do it now. And as soon as that thought and that little prayer left my mind, that tractor came to a, a halt. And I didn't know what had happened. I just remembered that the disc was lurching uh, and the tractor was jumping, and but it had stopped, so I, uh, everything sped up, then uh, I pulled myself up to a sitting position to uh, try to pull my legs out from under the disc, end, and I didn't know what had happened, I just knew that I had to get out from under that disc, and, So when I went to pull my left leg, I had the sensation that I was pulling my leg out, but my foot stayed under the axle and I didn't know what had happened. So I jerked a little harder and, uh, to my surprise, the left femur came out the side of my pants leg and uh, left my foot uh, under the disc and I said, well, uh, this isn't going to work. So I reached down and grabbed my pants and jerked my foot out from under the axle and laid it over to the side. and then. I reached over and grabbed my right leg, and I had a pair of loafers on, Fortunately, I didn't have any boots on, so uh, the loafer slipped off my foot and I was able to jerk my right leg out. That allowed me to get my legs free, I turned over on my stomach and I crawled between the back tire of the tractor and the disc frame, and I crawled into a, a top uh, with a little uh, tree right there. and I was strong enough that uh, while I couldn't get up on my legs, I reached up and uh, pulled myself up to a standing position because you would think, well, how could you do that? Well, once again, the body and the Lord gives us endorphins that completely, I think, block out any pain or you're really not aware of how bad you're hurt. And the adrenaline and everything it takes to get you out, that happens in the first minute or two but when I turned around thinking that I could walk over there and turn the tractor off I didn't realize that both my legs were broken I collapsed then my next thought was, okay so I can't turn the tractor off, I just gotta get out of the way so I turned around and I crawled back through the briar patch and out into the food plot and crawled for about, I don't know, 25 or 30 meters away from the tractor and then then the rest of it starts taking place. I didn't realize it at the time, but I had uh, several very very deep deep cuts that had nicked uh, the femoral artery in the left leg and I was losing blood like crazy and uh, my heart was just burning 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 and I was gasping for air. If you could imagine when you ran football drills, you had all your equipment on and a 50-pound bag of feed, and you were running uphill. You just couldn't catch your breath. And then finally, at the last second, when I didn't think I could take any more, just before I blacked out, it was the it was strangest thing because when I blinked my eyes, the whole brown, dark food plot, it was just a just a green, beautiful grass. And then the next instant, I didn't feel anything. Uh, it was like you took a flash bulb and popped it in my eyes, or you stuck your head in a fluorescent tube. Everything became so bright, um, but I didn't feel anymore. I didn't. Feel, I mean, my heart didn't hurt, and I wasn't gasping for air. Uh, and I tell people a lot of times when we're mourning someone that dies, I, I do believe that was a uh, an out of body experience or whatever you want to call it. I just remember that i was very comfortable where i was um i never i was never really afraid and and uh but i didn't hurt anymore and uh i don't know how long i laid there uh but uh i just for some reason it came to me that i needed to try to get a tourniquet on my left leg now i'm i'm still in this real bright bright space and and so i remember reaching in my pocket get my pocket knife and cut my pants off, and I remember tearing paint pieces of my pants off, and for some reason, I stuffed them in this left groin cut that was very deep, and then I cut two more strips big enough to tie a tourniquet around that leg. Uh, later, we found out that I had a 15-inch cut from my right knee to my groin, and then the left leg started on the left side of the groin and cut all the way across and almost severed my left leg from my body at the same time it broke the right tibia the left tibia the left femur five metacostals in the left foot it had actually turned my right foot upside down and it had a seven inch cut on the bottom of it, and it had sliced about an eight inch piece of meat off my right calf and uh but disc is a pretty awesome piece of equipment, but I can only say I'm glad it wasn't scallops because it would have pulled me on underneath. They were smooth hands so we it cut me rather than pull me. So when I put my hands down on the tourniquet and pressed down real hard I laid my head back down on the grapevine it was in the field. I remember I remember it was just a few seconds where I, I felt my lungs fill with air and I took a deep breath and then all of a sudden my eyes popped open and I was looking straight up at the blue sky again and I could look over and see the tractor running and the smoke was boiling out from under the tires. And My first thought was, you know, the the tires are going to catch the tractor on fire. What had happened was it dead-centered a locust tree with the front of the tractor and the back set of gangs on the disc had caught the buddy in the body a log that had been left from the logging operation. So it just really, because it was a two-wheel drive tractor, it just hung it up and it couldn't go anywhere. And, um, uh, and, um, uh, then after about another 15 minutes, I could feel this stinging sensation. And in the South, we have a lot of fire ants. And I realized that I had basically stopped on the bed and they were just, if anybody knows about the Mississippi river fire ants, they boil up in the water. It was just a ball of fire in on them, but it was so much blood. They were swimming around in the blood. And anyway, long story short, I kind of wiped them off a little bit, and then I crawled about another 15 meters to get off the bed. And for the next hour or so, I laid there trying to decide, you know, what was the next move. Most doctors uh, agree that when you're in a real trauma situation, uh, most people panic. And and that's what happens in most fatalities is that you quit thinking and uh in my case i had been in the pre-med and pre-vet i had worked in surgery i'd worked in emergency room so i'd seen a lot of emt activity and i knew i knew i had to slow my heart rate down i knew i had to try to get my blood pressure down so i i started slowing my breathing down and uh i took my pulse and uh I got my, my pulse, it started off at about 63 and I got it down to mid fifties and so I'd slowed everything down and uh, and everything was just normal and I thought well I'll try to drag another 150 yards to the road but when I started moving again uh, um, I felt the, the wound start leaking again and I had to quit. So for the next two and a half hours, I watched the tractor, thinking it was going to burn up, but then in that International, they have a clutch in it, and the clutch burned out, and the tires quit spinning, and then right after dark, the tractor ran out of fuel, and uh, by this time, the sun had gone down, and they began to miss me at the house, and they could hear the tractor running. They thought I was disking so they, they came back, and uh, I was far enough off the road that officer they couldn't see me and you and, uh, know they were driving in the truck they couldn't hear me so sometime around nine that night i had gone through uh almost going into complete shock i remember my teeth were shattering so hard that you know i remember thinking about michael Durant because if you've never read the book in the company of heroes that guy was tough as nails he had his left femur broke in uh in that crash and uh Because I had read that book, um, there were a lot of things that he did. He chewed on rocks, he chewed on sticks, and I found a piece of switch cane. And every time the pain would get so bad, I'd I'd start chewing and take my mind off. I started shaking so bad from going into shock, I finally talked myself out of shaking. I just had had to tell myself to quit because if I ever got a chance, I, I couldn't be you know I couldn't be in that kind of shape so about nine that night I heard a, a neighbor had a glass pack on his uh, Bronco and he was uh, a game warden uh, for federal parts that lived down the road my wife Ann had called him and uh, wanted to know could he come down and help maybe look for me and so they they came back and I could hear the Bronco coming because the glass backs were so loud, he pulled up on the hill above me. And I remember listening, and when he turned the key off, I, I collected myself and got a deep breath and and uh, called out. Uh, Kurt heard me, but he couldn't course me. And, and then he moved up about another 100 yards and stopped again, and I called again. And Ann uh, thought I was further in the back, and he said I was between them and the house. He came down and ultimately turned... Stopped in the road and we'll called one more time and he drove down through the weeds and and found me and uh i remember man getting out you know it wasn't a good sight and Kirk told her to get back in the truck from then on it, it is a, a story of of uh, being able to persevere because he uh i remember kurt walked up to me and i first thing i asked him <laughs> did he yeah. have any blood I know, mean, uh, Kurt said, hell no, I ain't got any blood. All oh, I got is hot sprites. So I, I was dehydrated very badly, and I had leaked a lot of blood. I Probably, I don't know how much. I just remember they wound up putting eight or ten units in me. He had a radio, so because there was no cell phone, he radioed out to a 911 uh, EMT finally got there about 40 minutes later. And, and one of my friends was on the truck the emergency truck and he he told me he was gonna have to put my leg in a splint and because i had been in that situation before i i asked him not to because i, I told him i said look i'm cut real bad but he told me it was, you know uh standard operating procedure was they had to splint my leg so if you can imagine they they, they put one foot in my armpit and pull that leg back in to set that femur uh, you know, that's when I realized what pain was all about. Then they said it, and but uh, Kurt said in the process, it had pulled the tourniquet and the, uh, packing the loose, and he said that uh, when they started loading me up in the ambulance, that uh, the, the splint was too long, they had to let it down and reset it. And he said the ambulance floor just filled up with blood. Well, by that time, I had kind of fought through, five and a half hours, and now I felt like, okay, I'm going to be saved, well, in the next few minutes, I was about to die, and they really thought that I had, and whether I did or they didn't, he got up in there and and got an IV started, he couldn't get enough blood pressure in my veins, so they had to go in and and, uh, pull a vein out of my upper right breast, and and, uh, they got an IV started and put some more compression on it and then they took off for to the hospital and I don't remember that ride so I had to pass out. I just remember waking up about midnight and uh, I was about 10 o'clock and, um, and then they finally decided that uh, they were going to have to airlift me to Jackson to the medical center in Jackson and by that time they had given me a little morphine and, and uh, so they transported me across the road to the helicopter and and uh, then they flew me to Jackson I I was awake for a little while Monday the early Tuesday morning I remember that they said they were gonna take me to surgery and they kept me in a coma for 10 days so somewhere around the 10th or 11th I came out of the coma they had six or seven operations they nicknamed me Humpty Dumpty because they had to put me all back together again And when I wake up. You know, I had all kinds of pins and, you know, it wasn't good, okay, and know. Uh, so then about 10 days later, they, because I, I didn't have any, there was no meat on the right, uh, tibula, the side of my leg, I had, like a skin graft, I put some skin over that bone and that's really all it is now, a piece of skin over the bone. But um, then they had me in two, pool, you know, pull leg casts, so there was no moving. And for 30 days, uh, I went through the hospital before they released me. Um, and, you know, my sister and my wife and my daughter were there every day, and if it hadn't been for them, I, can, I remember when I wake up, I, uh, they pulled the tubes out. I thought I was going to strangle. Uh, I couldn't eat anything. I finally got a little insured, and I was able to uh, get to where I could talk. And so I went from about 238 down to about 185 pounds, and uh, you don't move your legs. You're in a cast for now 45 days. Once I got home, they finally removed the cast, the right leg, and the upper cast on my left leg. Of course, when you don't use muscles, you know, you lose muscle mass and uh you can't believe um learning how to walk again was almost was difficult um and over a period of another 30 20 days i was able to get on a walker and finally learn to get on crutches and um part of the miracle there's so many miracles the doctors would come in in the morning I'll never forget, at 5 o'clock, I had a surgeon come in and he'd say, well, I see you're still alive. He said, just want to let you know, you know, it's going to go from, you know, a minor infection to septic. And I hate to tell you, but it's 98% chance septic is going to kill you. You know, we've done all we could for you, but, you know, you got so much dirt in these wounds. Well, I think probably they do that on purpose to um, maybe get you a little grit in your teeth because uh, when I say that, I remember when they pulled the pulled tubes out about a day later, I, I got to feel feeling around in my mouth, and uh, and all I could feel was the gum on my right side. And I'm like, I was asking Beth and Ann, what's the matter with my right side? And they realized then that the disc had cut all my teeth off at the gum, so I didn't have any teeth in the right side, and, and I kept spitting. And it was dirt and grass jammed into my teeth. They had washed everything on the outside, but they hadn't rinsed my mouth out, and I had a mouth full of dirt and grass. And those are funny things now, but at the time, you know, it was like, gosh, you know, this is crazy. But the miracle was, I didn't have any infection. None. Uh, the doctors uh, came in one morning and told me that uh, they had to leave the wounds open. That. But some of the muscle mass had died because I had to tile so many of the bleeders, I had to do some trimming and because I'm a deer hunter and he was a deer hunter, I said, So let me get this straight. You kinda hung me up and you you like trimmed the the belly meat off my legs and he laughed and said, Yeah I like that and that what they'd done, they'd removed about oh, I would say a third of the thigh muscle on my right leg and um it wasn't pretty. Uh so from then on because of uh you know, just faith and that you know you're gonna get better and you're not gonna die and I had a target date because on November the seventeenth I was supposed to be in Illinois on a boat hunt. <laughs> you know, they didn't know it, but I had I had made this promise to myself that if I was walking on crutches by the seventh of November that I was gonna go to Illinois and I was talking to my three buddies that were going to go with me, and they agreed that if they would take me if, if, you know, if I was willing. And then I really tried to get the hunt credited to me. And I called the man that I was hunting with, and Jerry told me, well, you know, he was sorry I got hurt, but he couldn't, you know, change his rules. Once again, he's a Marine-Military guy. It didn't matter that I'd nearly been killed and couldn't walk. Well, he was going to keep my $2,000. So I said, well, you know, I guess I got to cool and I did. They loaded me up in the back of the truck. I rode uh, with my leg propped up over the console, and uh, with my crutches and a couple of my buddies, they built me a ground blind, and we hunted for five days. It wasn't that I was going to kill anything. It was the fact that I went, and uh, you just just can't say that you can't do something. You just got to keep pushing, and uh, I give all the credit. You know, I mean, uh, my upbringing and the faith that I had and the fact that I was here for a reason and, and I wasn't going to let a couple of broken legs, you know, and lost a little bit of blood stop me. So, I, you know, I do know that uh, there was thousands of chain letters that went out through the churches and there's no doubt in my mind that group prayer uh, has a lot of healing power because there were thousands and thousands of people that were praying for me. In Mississippi that year, there were 13 tractor rollovers, and there were 12 fatalities. Oh, and my and God. Actually,
0: I never heard that you know, number.
1: Yeah, you know, The doctor said that I was one in a thousand would have survived what I went through. and then, uh, So the message for anyone at this time of the year when we get busy on equipment what I told people when I went around for a year was that if there's a safety belt in that tractor, it's not there for looks; it's there for a reason. Uh, if there's a roll bar, don't let the roll bar down. Put the roll bar up and buckle your seat belt. And if if you don't have an open cab tractor, buy a cab tractor. Now, now I own two cab tractors, and I don't care if I'm going down to pick up a bale. Hey, I buckle the seat belt. And a uh, quick story, when I was in the hospital, a man came down from Tennessee, Shelby County, and he wanted to see somebody who could survive a disc running over him. His brother had been in a cab tractor, and uh, he went to the field set the disc down and fired up the RPM 2500 and kicked it in gear. When it did, the tractor reared up. He didn't have a seatbelt on. It threw him over the back of the seat and threw the back glass and down in the disc, and it ran over him and killed him. So you you can be hurt inside a cab tractor, and I tell people you know that seat belt is a vital part of that piece of equipment. So you know, John, you know, all I can tell are you know your listeners: if you got a little tractor and it doesn't have a roll on, go get one that does. And if it doesn't have seat belts, be damn sure they got got 'em. Now most of the modern tractors now have seat belts, but unfortunately most people don't use them up. Uh, that, that roll bar is there for a reason. When that tractor turns over, it keeps that thing from mashing you as long as you're tied in the seat. If you don't have your seatbelt on, generally you'll be thrown out and the tractor rolls over you and kills you anyway. So, you know, it's the time of the year. You know, we get we get a little careless. You know, we think we know what we're doing. Uh, we're on bush hogs clipping. You hit a hole, you get thrown off. Don't let your child... Sit in your lap. It scares me to death when I see grandfathers riding with their children sitting on the fender. Or sit. that doesn't work. <laughs> Do not let a child ride in an open cab with a bush hog or a disc or a clipper. It just you just got to be thinking about what can happen because I've been doing that for 25 years, and I never dreamed that that would ever happen to me. But I'm living testament to the fact that. If you do all the things right, you know you can survive a, a a near fatal accident. But you you gotta dot all the i's and cross all the t's because if any one of those things had not happened in the correct order, I wouldn't be telling the story. And um,
0: yeah, that I mean, oh, I gotta compose myself, man. I was I was in tears for a minute. I was some of this stuff you know i had forgot about uh mainly because it's always hard to talk about especially when it's you know someone that you care about uh but yeah i mean that goes some of that stuff is just you can't even express it enough um i know that i know that it was a miracle i mean i couldn't believe it i couldn't you know i couldn't uh it was hard to comprehend every, you know, all those things and how, you know, every single, it's almost like every single one of those small things could have done it on its own. I mean, just the limb hitting you could have killed you. If it would have been two, three inches higher, it would have broke your neck. You know, if it would have been higher than that, it would have, it would have, you know, it would have, it would have killed you hitting you in the head. I mean, there's just, and then it, and then it just keeps going. Uh, but, Needless to say, uh Damn you're tough. And you still went on your deer hunt, and luckily you drew a tag here a few years ago, and uh I'll be dang it if the one night we had sat we sat we sat all day together for a few days and uh just the bucks were rutting so hard we weren't uh we weren't able to get any get one to stop and uh, you, you were the one who ever since I was probably before I was a teenager taught me about sitting all day. And, uh, you and I sat in the tree all day for a few days. And then I can't remember what happened, but something happened where, uh, Sharon came up and we, uh, we, we came out for about 20 minutes. We came out of the tree and you, you said, and I kind of said, well, I'm going to, you know if you need to get back out there i told you where you should go and i said man it's it's killing me that i can't go out there with you cuz i had to do something with sharon and then uh i swear you're gone like maybe 20 minutes i was still in the process of helping sharon with what she needed and you came back in and i said well could you fi- could you find that stand and <laughs> you said yeah i found it i shot a big one <laughs> You were yeah, pretty that, was pretty
1: that same December after that accident in September, um, the bottom part of my left leg and foot was still in the cast because the brake that was in the left foot is called a Napoleon brake, and that means that your foot breaks in the wrong direction. It folds back under you. And they had uh, five wire leaders that went through those metaconstles that tied them together so i still couldn't walk but i got on my four-wheeler and rode about 200 meters from the house where i had had a friend to put up a ladder saying i remember pulling the four-wheeler under the ladder and putting a branch kind of halfway disguised it and i had practice at the house where my aunt hadn't seen me where my right leg was stronger <laughs> So I would hold my foot with my left leg, and I'd pull up with my right leg. I got in the ladder. And that afternoon just shows you, you know, what spiritual health, uh, what it does to your health. Five does came in the food plot, and all I wanted to do was to get a chance just to see a deer. And uh, those five does, one of them was fixing to sacrifice their loins when, uh, for (laughs) some reason, they spooked and they and they ran uh, under me and down in the woods, and I'm like, "What the crap?" You know, all I wanted was a shot. And then I look back, and here comes this 19-inch ten-point. He steps out in the food plot, and I'm like, oh, "Well," and uh, I was able to put an arrow in him. And uh, I remember when I got down, I couldn't go look for him. I went and got on forward and went back to the camp and. I had two buddies hunting with me, and they came back, and they were telling all what they had done. And then finally, they looked at me and said, "What'd you see?" And I said, "Well, I think I shot one." And they're like, "You're kidding!" I'm like, mm. And I'm, we went down there, and they went down the woods and found this big buck, and uh, it was just unbelievable. You know, he weighed two hundred thirty-five pounds. You know, it, it was just, I just that kind of healing, for sportsmen that understand what that means to score in complete adversary situations where no one would have been sitting in that tree that close to the house and just goes to show you when it's your time you know if you if you play the wind right and you do right to kill a five six year old buck on that place mm, that was that was another miracle but it it was part of testament that uh that what was that now it's been four years three years since i shot that deer in iowa so you know, I remember sitting in that ladder stand, I believe I you know, you rode me by the cedar tree that had a twenty inch rub that was up about six feet and said it was a hundred and eighty <laughs> inch deer that came by and I was so pumped up when this rack of horns came by me out of the plum thicket, I'm like, That's gotta be him and unfortunately I say hey, I'm not disappointed by any means, but it certainly wasn't a hundred and eighty inch deer, but it was a damn nice hundred and fifty inch buck and I just I was so elated that uh, he, he followed the game plan to the letter. And then you told me to punch that camera on, but military discipline said that I'm going to focus on that hair, and I forgot to <laughs> punch the camera on. So, you know, I got chastised for not having it on film. But, uh,
0: well, it was pretty uh, amazing I, because I, I did tell you, I said, I haven't hunted this stand, I said, but I went and I hand mowed one little path down into this into this briar thicket and i said yep. i think i think if you just keep looking over your left side i said when they come up yep. the stage before going into that field i said i i've kind of created an easier route for him to follow and i'll be danged if that sucker didn't come up that mode path yep. and stop stop right there at 20 yards and that was it oh, yeah. it
1: was perfect it was perfect and uh but uh, you know and, of course, with non-residents, you know, you, you, that's a three-year sit on the sideline, wait till you get your number <laughs> called. So I've had to sit out for three years. And and uh, I got a buddy that's got three preference points, and he didn't even get drawn this year with three. So And I didn't either. So I guess I get to skip a year, now it'll be four. But I'm still alive in four years, you know. I may wind up driving up there and kind of get in your way for a couple of days.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, like you told that bucket when, about that story when you kind of went down from camp. Just so everyone listening knows, that's classic Kenny stuff right there. Me and my cousin John, who actually you're going to get to meet John this year uh, if you're following everything that I'm doing with the show because. Um, This is the first time I've ever leased a place to deer hunt. I leased a place down in Oklahoma because there's a few friends down there that I really enjoy being with. And I really just got to the point where I needed to have a place to where me and my family and people with busy schedules can just set it aside to go there and be together. And uh, me and my cousin John hunted together. We grew up together hunting Kenny putting us in trees and us hunting and then you know I started shooting professionally and traveling the world and John went into dental school and now we're to the point now we're both finally able to all three connect again but for years and years believe me John and I would we would look at that big map of the place and Kenny would say well where do you want to sit and we would look at Kenny and say well where are you going to go Because every single time, no matter what we picked, he would always come back with something. (laughs) So we just wanted to know where he was going to go. And he'd say, well, if it was me, I'd go there. And a lot of times he'd say, well, I don't have time to go out. And then, needless to say, he'd pick us up. And I'd say, well, did you go out tonight? Well, yeah, I was able to get out for a few minutes. And, well, we kind of need to go look for this buck over here. And it's like, good (laughs) grief. I mean, you have... You arguably have a bigger horseshoe in your butt than I do. And, you know, that could be what yeah. saved you. I don't know if they said your pelvis was solid, but it's probably because you got a big old horseshoe up there. <laughs> because, was bad. Yeah, you do it to me every time. Well, man, I love you. And I can't wait to see you again. Me, I'll see you and John soon enough. And uh, thanks, thanks for telling everyone this story. I hope it saves someone else's life if... God forbid they get put in a bad situation and or hopefully it saves someone's life just by avoiding the situation and, and taking yeah. notes. All right. Yeah, uh,
1: love you. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it. and Like I say, I'm still around. So uh <laughs> you know, we we're we right. on. So thank you, Paul. And John and uh I love you too. Yeah, we got
0: care. All right. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com